Whether you are stuck indoors trying to avoid the coronavirus, or you're stuck indoors because you have Indians fever... We have a podcast just for you. It's the Selvia's Godcast. Zach Meisel, TJ Zuppi. What's going on, TJ? Oh, I'm just preparing for all the emails we'll get about us being insensitive now. So thanks. I'll just field those for the next hour and a half. Appreciate that, man. I am doing well, man. How about you? Well, I mean, opening day is like two weeks away, and there's a ton to talk about. And I, it's funny. I was talking to my mom on the phone on Monday Aww. afternoon. Yeah, at like 3, I want to say it was like 3 p.m. And she's like, hey, like, what's going on? Anything new? And I was saying, no, honestly, like, I'm really boring. There's nothing going on at all. I've got, like, I have nothing going on, nothing exciting to share. And then like an hour later, <laughs> our article ran on The Athletic about Francisco Lindor ending talks with the Indians. Um, the, the MLB and, and all the other leagues got rid of their access to the to the clubhouses. Um, three coronavirus cases were reported in Cuyahoga County. Like, all of this happened all at once, and I want to just call my mom back and be like, hey, so what I said earlier, um, I got some stuff I can talk about now. Um, it's just, it's crazy. And there's two weeks. I mean, I'm supposed to go back to Arizona this week, and I'm like, I don't know if I am or not yet. It's We're debating the pros and cons of it, and... You know, what can we accomplish with limited access and, you know, what's are these leagues going to be playing games in front of empty arenas? What does that mean for the media? Um, What does that mean for people watching at home? I mean, this is just it's bizarre. And not only that, but then you also have the Indians with two weeks till opening day. And all anyone wants to talk about is Francisco Lindor and Paul Dolan and the payroll and still CeCe Sabathia and Cliff Lee. So it's, there's a lot going on. Not a lot of it is positive. So I thought we could get together and maybe talk about some rays of sunshine. You don't want to spend time talking about Lindor, the Dolans, the payroll, everything you just said, because I feel at some point we need to address all of that this offseason. Oh, wait, that's every fucking podcast up to this point. <laughs> yes, yeah, please. I mean, you can go back and listen to our last podcast from... A few days ago, we did talk about it in detail. I mean, there, there aren't, I mean, I, I wrote the piece last week that said this was coming, this was happening. The new revelation is Lindor shed a little bit of light into those negotiations. Um, but there's not much to add that we haven't already said, right? Well, I've sat down today, opened up my laptop, stared at a blanking cursor light that was staring me at the fa- in the face like, you're not seriously going to do this again. And I'm like, I'm sorry, bro. I got to start typing. And I started typing the word Francisco Lindor in my laptop almost zapped me just out of sheer boredom. <laughs> and the fact that we're going to go down this road again. I mean, I texted you. I can't believe I'm getting ready to write another opinion article about Francisco Lindor. I feel like we've done this a million times. It's gotten to be the point where you know in the movie Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince? No. <laughs> of course you don't. Uh, but it, 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 at one point, and spoiler alert, by the way, if you haven't seen it and you're going to see it, I don't know how this would be happening what, uh, 10 years later or whatever. But Which one? Fast the Prisoner forward, of Azkaban? Fast forward two minutes into this podcast, please. The Goblet of Fire? 
in the, the, the end of the movie, before you get to the final scene, uh, you have Harry Potter and uh, Professor Dumbledore, and they're out searching for this Horcrux. And at one point, Professor Order Dumbledore, of the Phoenix? <laughs> Professor Dumbledore says, he, he needs to complete this task, right? He says, Harry, no matter what I say as I'm doing this, I will beg to stop. I, 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 you never know what I might say, but you have to make me, you have to force me to finish this, no matter what I say. And I feel like it's the same sort of thing with Francisco and Linda. I'm going to turn to you, and you need to turn to me, and we need to make a pact right here and now. The minute we want to write about, about Francisco Lindor from this day going forward, let me finish what I already started writing. But from this point forward, I want to make you stop me and I will stop you. So just even when you're thinking about writing Francisco Lindor's name for even a, a part of an article that doesn't even impact his future whatsoever, I need Chamber you to step of Secrets? In. I will step in for you. Stop it. Put it to an end. Because friends helping friends is how you get through something like this. Okay. This can be our Deathly Hollows if, <laughs> if you write about Lindor again. Well, I, I, I do can – we, can we just discuss this in like 60 seconds, really quick takeaways? Because I think we both we, – I just said we're this. putting the foot down. Okay. I'm, but one, allowed, one last thing. If because I'm allowed I, to finish my article, you can finish your thought, and then we'll be done. Yeah, and, and I – We've talked about this over text, so I, I think we're on the same page here, and we, I, I don't want to just rehash this. But there are people who want us to at least address it, so let's address it really quick. Number one, I think we've both said, regardless of how you feel about handing Lindor $300, $400 million, because I saw some people, I mean, like Anthony Kastervitz was arguing and saying, well, no team wins with one, pay, one player tying up their – and it's like, that's fine. Set all that aside. Why is their payroll $90 million right now? Why are you not surrounding this guy with more talent if you're keeping him? We've said this for months, and it still does not make sense. And you cannot argue against that. Like, you can cite all the facts you want about attendance and about uh, TV revenue and whatever. The fact that you are trying to contend and compete and you have your foot like two-thirds of the way in the door but you're not taking that extra step. And again, I have to clarify, no payroll does not just equal wins, but you can see there is a spot in the outfield that they could use help. They could use pitching depth. The bullpen's a mess. Like they could benefit from additional talent, which costs money. That that has never made sense to us. And it's even more so the case now. <laughs> so that's one thing. Number two, one thing we don't know, and Lindor refused to share it when Jason Lloyd was talking to him. Um, and he's, he's refused when we've all asked this, but, and it makes sense. He's not going to give away exactly what salary he is looking for because that that's, it is his business. That is, there are some things behind closed doors that we don't need to know, especially right now when, you know, he still has two years of team control with the Indians. So that said, like, is there actually a price that he would sign for? Is it a realistic price? Like, can there be any sort of middle ground here? Um, and we're not telling Lindor to settle for less than his, his value suggests he's worth. That's not fair. I wouldn't tell anyone to settle for that in any job. Um, but there is a piece of the puzzle missing. Chris Antonetti is going to address reporters on Wednesday morning. We might shed a little more light into this. I'm not really expecting a whole lot of specifics. 
Um, but the bottom line is, I mean, we, we saw this coming. We knew it was coming. I wrote last week that this is coming, like this is happening. So it, it's not surprising. It's just a matter of you better win. You better get off to a good start. That's the only way to, to fan the flames, to get fans to think about something more positive and, and not just dwell on this and dwell on the payroll. Um, you know, it's, it's just been, it's been two years of, uh, like, the only thing they've done right in the last two years is somehow they went on a tear in the second half when everybody was injured and they had all these inexperienced players playing and they won 93 games. It still wasn't enough to make the playoffs. It doesn't excuse what they did the previous offseason or the first couple months of the season. Um, but it's the only thing they've done right. And it's like, can they, like, someone needs to just hand them some good PR, some good feel-good storylines, something. Um because it's this is a lot of this is self-inflicted, and we're both so tired of talking about the Dolans and about payroll and about the shortstops' future. Um, but these are legitimate talking points. This is like a turning point in the franchise potentially. But it's just it's it's exhausting, and it's a lot of it is just the organization has been self-inflicted, and their their methods just have not made complete sense. And it's really strange because they have a fr- smart front office. The fan base understands that the front office is, is really good at what they do, and yet the logic just doesn't add up. I'm trying to play the wrap it up music, but you're just not paying attention. So you just that's keep it. Let's move on. Anything going else? on. This is like a Democratic and, and re- Republican debate at times where people just rolling right through the stop sign. Hold on, we got other things to get to. No, Harry Potter got, and the Sorcerer's Stone. Meisel's got Lindor shit he needs to get off his chest. For someone that's tired of talking about it, you, you sure got lots to say. Okay, I'm just kidding with you. Fond well, Mil it Ray. doesn't help when I turn Fond on Mil Ray. Stop. certain radio Stop. shows during the Stop. day. And Stop. Fond they're Mil comparing Ray. Lindor to Browns players. Over and... under 75 home runs. Okay, Go. so this is... <laughs> Let's talk positivity. Framil Reyes, I, I, as I wrote this morning, spring statistics mean as much as the points awarded on an episode of Whose Line Is It Anyway? Which Did you know that that show's still on? I knew it was reruns. I didn't know there were still fresh episodes. So get this. That's what you're saying. There have been nearly as many episodes of the new version as the old version with Drew Carey. Um, they're on season 15. It's on is, this... is it a, is it official canon or was it a reboot? It's, uh, I mean, Aisha <laughs> Does Tyler's... it all exist in the same whose line yes. is it anyway universe? Do yeah. they acknowledge previous episodes or is this a whole new universe? It's on Maybe the someday CW? They will, have a, they will have a clash. The multiverse will clash. The CW apparently is, wait, remember the WB? Was that what it was called when we were younger? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I still I have the CW app now because okay. I need. Well, you to can watch. watch you can final, watch any episode. The of... final season of Supernatural, and I what need about it. Smallville? Yeah, I I would have needed that fifteen years ago or ten years ago or however Buffy long the Smallville Slayer. was on. Sure. Were you a Seventh there, Heaven fan? CW has these old rebooted shows that were really Dawson's Creek. <laughs> no. I was going through their lineup the other day. I'm like, they rebooted this? They rebooted that? They have what? I think they have a party of five going on right now. What, what is happening? What year is this? To quote Robin Williams in Jumanji. Another movie reference that I don't know if you get. I've seen are you, Jumanji. Are you, are you ever going to answer my question over under Fonville Reyes? Well, hold on. I wasn't done talking runs? about whose line is it anyway, which is one of my favorite shows of all time. And 
you can watch on the CW app um, any the old episodes, the new episodes. Um, they're they're actually still pretty good. They do. I think the entire reason they rebooted it was so that they could have guest stars from their other CW shows to give those <laughs> promotions. Um, of but like course. Wayne Brady and, and Colin Mockery and Ryan Stiles are still so funny. Um, They're still so it's, on it's been the enjoyable. show? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So it no, is really great. just a continuation of... It's, it is. And wow, it's fantastic. I, I had no idea. Did so, you know Wayne Brady was was on uh, The Masked Singer? Did, did you predict that? Did I know that? I knew the second the fox walked onto the stage that it was Wayne Brady. Really? Yes. Could offer um, a spoiler alert if anyone hasn't seen past seasons. I did nail the, the season most recent three. one. I did nail the most recent one. I got I to gotta point that out. I'm not going to say who, who it was because I don't know if Was it the taco? Uh, I don't remember. My wife watched. I just hear it in the background. My wife was watching it. And I uh-huh. go, "Oh, that's blank," and she's like, "Who is that?" And I showed her the picture, and she's like, "Okay, whatever." And I thought maybe I was off because no one was guessing it. And then, off can you comes give me a the... hint of which character well, you're talking about? Everyone was talking about, and maybe she was behind. I don't know. Uh, but they were talking about this person possibly hosting America's Funniest Home Videos. Yeah, I thought it was Bob Saget originally. Mm, no, I, I, I nailed it. That's impressive because that stumped me. And then it turned out Bob Saget was like his friend who gave an interview in one of the clue packages. Um, anyway, so Fred Mill Reyes. <laughs> the Mass Singer is, it is, it show is addicting though. It's, it's good. And I have no shame in saying that. And Fred Mill Reyes um, is on this season. Spoiler alert. I wouldn't put and it past them because that guy is that funny and uh, full of personality. You heard it here first. The frog is a little bow wow. But anyway, uh, Framil Reyes. So his numbers, can, can we read his numbers? I mean, I, I thought it was just bow wow now. It's not Lil Bow Wow. Okay. Well, Framil Reyes this spring, <laughs> his slash line reads 444, 483, 1148. That's a 1631 OPS, which is pretty, pretty good. Um, it's not, I mean, it's more than what he does against double A pitchers at Goodyear Ballpark, though. You just watch him in batting practice, and it's, he, he has so much power to the opposite field. It's crazy. You, and even, I mean, you've seen it in the games a little bit, too, where it does not look like he gets all of, the baseball and it's he's just has so much raw power that it's enough to drive it over the fence in right field it's it's crazy he has just made a habit out of denting the scoreboard on the the main batting practice field behind the complex um i I know we've seen instances of of spring power and spring success at the plate that fizzle out by april 10th um but in terms of the potential that we knew he had, the fact that his metrics were off the charts last year. Only three players had a higher average exit velocity, um, and they were all prolific home run hitters. I mean, Nelson Cruz, I think, was one of them. He was just ahead of Christian Yelich. He hits the ball really hard. He hits the ball really hard a lot, and he's young, and he's powerful, 
And it's like he went through this transition last season. First of all, he was playing half of his home game or he was playing his home games, half of his schedule at Petco Park, which is a pitcher's park. And then he gets traded to a new league and there was a lot to adapt to. I have been saying it. I've been writing it. I've been saying it on this podcast since last season ended that this guy is going to be a player that fans fall in love with. He's got all the personality in the world. Um, I, it, it has, the home run total, like, legitimately, like, 40 should be nothing for him. And no Indians player has hit 40 home runs in a season since Travis Hafner in 2006. I'm expecting Reyes to end that drought this year. And, like, I don't know. The, the franchise record is 52. If you asked me what are the odds Framil Reyes eventually breaks that, like, I'd give him a chance. It's not out of the realm of possibility. He, there's going to be some swing and miss, even though he's only struck out three times this spring. Um, he's not a guy who's going to hit 320. He's not a guy who's going to have a really high on base percentage. But he can be a pretty good hitter who just hits a shit ton of power. Um, and he should like he should pepper that left field wall a lot. Should have a lot of doubles. So I- I'm going to say under 75 to finally answer your question 10 minutes later. Um, <laughs> God, but you have I'm, so much negativity. Why won't you just be positive for once? <laughs> I'm so intrigued by his potential. And as he learns the pitchers and he's hitting, you know, if he's hitting between like Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez or Carlos Santana, like that'll help him too. There- there's a lot working in his favor. And I think someone asked me late last season, like, he had five more years of control. How many home runs could he hit in those five seasons? 200 is not crazy. Like, if he stays healthy, that's possible. Like, he's got that type of power. So, it's going to be interesting. He's the player I'm most looking forward to watching this season. Absolutely. I don't – I can't debate that whatsoever because – even even with the string, spring statistics meaning so very little, he is succeeding at the things that I like to see, too. And for him, if, if he was striking out every other at-bat, too, it would be like, okay, well, there, there's some still reason for concern. But that hasn't been super alarming. Um, it's just intriguing to see him because we know when he connects, it's going to go far. So if even he makes some subtle adjustments to make just a little bit more contact, I don't, I don't think it's going to impact his ability to hit the ball hard whatsoever because he's big and strong. And, and he's doing this where he had just lost weight in the offseason. We had talked about that being the most important thing that we were going to be watching because his ability to play the outfield is always going to be secondary to what does that do offensively. If it makes you lesser of a hitter, it's not worth however much value you're going to pick up by getting to a few extra fly balls in right or left field. It's just, it's not going to matter. You have to be the prolific home run hitter. That's what you're in the lineup to do. That's how you create runs. And that has not impacted him whatsoever. And as as skeptical as I was, what he said at the beginning of of February, that he was feeling as powerful as ever or never felt more powerful or however you phrased, however he phrased it. I was like, okay, here we go. Our first best, shape of my life of the spring he's backed it up with his performance and it's the one guy that you plug in the middle of that lineup that just Lindor Ramirez Santana they've all got the, the ability to change the game with one swing of the bat to have another dude that's in there as dangerous as he is that's four hitters that is as good as anybody's lineup 
And that's the that's what's going to be fun is watching those four hitters go through their part of the order and seeing how much damage they can do. Because I don't know how much damage they're going to get from behind them, but those four should be able to to absolutely cause some havoc. I remember one of my first conversations with Reyes last season after the trade was asking him about his power and he pulls out his phone and shows me <laughs> he had videos saved on his phone of his favorite home runs he had hit and he's yeah, like laughing as spectacular Kent Maeda turns around and, and makes a face <laughs> as as the ball <laughs> soars over the bullpens uh, he's he's always been really young for his level I mean he was he was 18 years old playing in a ball he was I think 21 when he got bumped up to triple a, like you look at his minor league numbers and you're like, okay, like, are we sure this guy's actually going to be really good? But he was really young. And we've said, this is something that the Indians identify something they like. It's part of why they like Jake Bowers. Um, obviously it doesn't mean it's going to work out and work out immediately, but he started to, I hate this phrase, come into his own, um, once he got to double A, and that's when the power really started, and, and his numbers in triple A when he was 22 in 2018 were just off the charts. He gets a promotion, but, I mean, he was he's still really young. He's got not even a year and a half of, of service time in the majors, so there's going to be learning. There are probably going to be some adjustments that need to be made, but it's like, this kid's 24. You've got him for five seasons. Yeah, and that's... For, well, and for... for Decades, fans and everybody's been shouting, you need right-handed power bats. There is no better example than, than this guy. <laughs> it's funny. Now they're to a point where they need some lefty thumb. Anybody they <laughs> could hit from the left side would be uh, preferable to fill that other outfield spot because they almost are too right-handed heavy. Uh, but the fact that he's 24, it made it possible that when the Indians said, we believe that you're not just going to be a DH and there's more to you than has met the eye so far. It makes it believable, believable because a guy at 24 should not more than likely be established in the type of guy that he's going to be for the rest of his career. It's not beyond the realm of, of believability that a guy that's 24 can make continued development and adjustments to get more out of his offensive profile. And, and we could talk about young, young guys, the things that they do well and well, just decline from the start, like range and speed, things that aren't going to get better. You know, Francisco Lindor's range isn't going to get better as he gets older. But when you're talking about someone that's 24 and the things that you're asking him to do uh, offensively and maybe a little bit defensively, it, it was not crazy to believe he could be more than just this plodding along DH that uh, can't bring any extra value outside of the home runs that he hits. I mean, he's even when he had the extra weight last year, it wasn't like he was one of the slowest people on the team. He beat Roberto Perez in a foot race as far as sprint speed goes uh, over at StatCast. And he's like a little bit, I mean, he's hovering right around the average, a little bit below average. So it's not like he's just this guy that sits in the middle of your order, goes first base, set then second base, then third base, and that's all he can do. I, I think there's more to him even than just a guy that crushes a lot of home runs who is the last player the indians have had who had that sort of raw power where like any pitch even if it's a hanging breaking ball that's like up and away they could swat into the seats if if they just get a good swing like 
like is is it crazy to think that like this is this is the Indians hitter with the most raw power since Albert Bell? No, not not whatsoever. I mean, Jim told me he's the leader in home runs for the for the franchise. So I, if you're saying right-handed hitters, of course it's that one's easy to me. Uh, but even if you go back, Travis Hafner, and he had the one really uh, big season home run wise, but he was never. Despite the fact that they named the second deck after him, they never. He was never a guy that I thought of as just a massive power guy that could any flick of the wrist was just going to hit the ball out of the ballpark. And, and from Mil Reyes, you mentioned it. How many times have I watched video of him this spring where he hits it and it's not all that impressive when it goes to center field or right field. It's, it's, it's not like you're looking at it immediately going, Oh boy, where's this going to end up? And then you look and it just keeps going and going. I know it's Arizona. I know there are reasons why uh, pitchers don't like pitching out in Arizona. Uh, but God, he just muscles balls over the fence. And I look at what progressive field, what, what sort of hitter that favors. And he is not a guy that's going to be bothered too much by a 19 foot wall in left field because he can hit some skyscrapers. So it's not like he's going to lose home runs by pulling the ball. And he, all he has to do is get it up into the jet stream and right center field. And that's just going to find the fence. I, I can't think of a, if you're going to have a right-handed hitter, I can't think of a better power profile than what Fran Mel Reyes has to fit progressive field. Unfortunately, we'll never be able to talk to him because the access has been restricted to Clubhouse. No. Um, what's your I, – I know well, – let me say this as we shift gears without any sort of segue. Um, I, <laughs> I am never – and I think you're the same way. The four leagues have restricted Clubhouse access, so media members can't go in there. You can still try to wrangle some interviews. You have to go through the PR staff now, and you have to stand six feet away, and every team's doing it differently. I think some teams are in a feeling-out process. As we are recording this on Tuesday, the Indians are off, so it's a moot point. We don't really know exactly how it's going to work yet. Um, I have never been someone who... I mean, this is obviously a disadvantage to reporters, I'm not going to be the person who goes on Twitter and says how stupid this is. And like, there's a large segment of our audience that just doesn't give a shit about that and doesn't want to hear us whine about that. And I'm completely fine with that. And I also think that a lot of writers and reporters think they are much more important than they are. Um, and I never want to come off as that. So I, that said, I thought it would still be worthwhile to maybe give some insight, pull back the curtain a little bit on what it means for us moving forward. We don't know exactly how long this is going to remain in place, obviously, but just kind of the benefits and, and why clubhouse access is so important um, when you're not, and there are many reporters who stand around and waste everybody's time, including their own, and just write the nuts and bolts of that day, which they can get from the manager's mouth. They can get from a press release. They can get from sitting on their couch if they really wanted to. But for those of us who don't do that and try to take our readers or our listeners inside the clubhouse, have them get to know the players a little better and, and maybe understand their team better. I figured we should talk about 
exactly what this means for that. Well, we can do that even beyond the scope of what's happening now. We can ex just explain, unrelated to the access being limited because of coronavirus, why it's important. And I think it can be easy to lose sight of when you're trying to explain some to someone why something is important, why they should care. Um, selfishly sometimes you just have to relate it to that person and tell you why you should care about that particular thing uh more so than just uh from a, a morality standpoint or <clears throat> or something that you know sounds good uh, on paper but doesn't really relate to to what that each individual person is feeling towards the subject so i think we can we can focus on this just from the aspect of why is access important for us and why fans should care that we have that access. And I, it was something we talked about uh, a few weeks ago, actually, uh, because the Indians changed the way that they do Tribe Fest access this year. In the past, uh, well, they've done this many different ways, but the last few years seem to work out really well, where they have the clubhouse open, guys were around, and the, the bigger name guys would eventually have the cameras surround them, the reporters surround them, and there would be a scrum. But you could also spend time grabbing someone who isn't as vital to the crowd. Or if there was something you wanted to follow up on or spend more time on, you could grab that player after the scrum was over. And if, if you'd already had a good relationship with that player, that player will probably say, yeah, that's fine. Let's keep talking. So for as an example, uh, there was something that I really wanted to, to ask Roberto Perez about. And I hope I can eventually get to this topic before somebody else does. So maybe I shouldn't even mention it. But I'm going to do it so it's on the record that I at least wanted to talk about it. We have You have nothing to worry because he spends every single day FaceTiming some people. So he's, <laughs> he's impossible to get to. Well, I, just drop him, drop him uh, my FaceTime information. Because that way, neither one of us ends up sick and we can get everything done that we need to. But I bring up Roberto Perez because I really wanted to ask him. In, in baseball, they have uh, the possibility of robo-umps that will change the strike zone and will change catchers' jobs forever. You have guys like him that are so very uh, in tune with and their value is so heavily tied to what they do behind the plate, their framing. And so if this changes, that changes Roberto Perez, how he's valued and how he about, goes about doing his jobs. I really wanted to talk to him about that before spring training, before he kind of got into the nitty gritty of the season, thought it would be a perfect time. And then they brought him in, they put him in front of everybody. And so I got a couple of questions in, but just because we're in a scrub, I ask a question, he answers it. And then somebody else jumps in. We're going in a different direction. There's no follow-ups. Name there's names. No, there's no spending time going uh, down the same rabbit hole because other people don't care about whatever I'm writing. I'm taking away from what you need. And, and from their position, they need several quotes on a couple of different things. If it's a news outlet, they need to be there for a quick 10 to 15 second sound bite. If it's somebody just writing a preview article, they all they want to do is get the, the, the stuff that relates to the entire team. They don't give a shit about Roberto Perez's job and how that's going to change based on robo-umps. So I'm doing just as much a disservice to them as I would be, or they are to me, by me, me being able to not ask that question. So it just in a general scrum atmosphere, I couldn't get what I needed to get done. Um, and it's something that lingers, and I've been able to 
relay that story. And it's something I hope that other people would find interesting at some point. But I haven't been able to bring that story out and talk about it with at least some segment of the fans that I hope would would enjoy it. So as a result of not having access at that very moment, I wasn't able to do my job the way that I would have liked to. And we can go on and on with this. There's thousands and thousands of times that probably uh, not being able to get somebody right when you needed them prohibited you from telling a story the same way that you wanted to. But that access doesn't just matter to us for doing our jobs, but I, I hope it matters to the fans that want a unique story. And that's just scraping the surface. There are so many different ways that this can be impacted by not being able to get into a clubhouse and talk to a player one-on-one in a very comfortable atmosphere for the player. Uh, but it was just the first thing that came to mind. It's something that we have already talked about that can get so annoying from our standpoint. And I hope for a fan, it gets annoying for them too, because it's something that they haven't had a chance to hear from uh, Roberto to actually talk about. Yeah, it's, it's been funny to me to watch. Like the whole point of the athletic is you're paying for the service. So we need to make sure that we're writing stuff that's different and maybe deeper or basically capitalizing on the access we have so that you're getting your money's worth. Well, if I have no access, it's a lot more difficult to capitalize on and and give readers what they want. So it's been funny to me to see certain people be like, "Uh, nobody cares. Like you don't need to go in the locker room anyway. And it's like, well, no, actually that's like the most important part of my job. And spring training is, probably the best time for that as we've talked where players are relaxed first of all there's two to three times as many players in a spring training clubhouse as you'll see in in the regular season and everybody has a story and you get i mean i like james hoyt nobody knows who he is he's going to be part of this bullpen the indians really like him they've done whatever they can to keep him on the roster for a couple years his background, his story, his journey to the majors could be a movie. And like we talked about it a couple different times this spring for a long period of time. One day we talked for, I don't know, a half hour about it. And it's not the sort of thing that I can just be like, hey, Indians PR person, I need to talk to James Hoyt. And like, like they don't, they're, they're not going to just take 30 minutes out of their day and come outside and stand six feet apart and tell me their life story. It's the type of thing that requires trust and you have to build relationships so that people have, they feel comfortable opening up to you and allowing you to write this stuff that is captivating, that is going to give fans deeper insight into their lives or their philosophies or, you know, why they do things the way they do. Um, the journey they took to get there. So it's tough. And I, we certainly understand the, the reasoning behind it. I mean, I guess I, I certainly understand everyone wanting to take precautions and make sure this virus doesn't spread that certainly, but it is difficult. And it's, it's, you know, it's frustrating that this all is happening. And from the Indian standpoint too, it's like, like, I love writing feature stories about people no one have heard of who have these amazing stories. Like, Kyle Dowdy is another guy who, I don't know if another human being interacted with him during spring training this year. I, we talked one day, and, and 
hopefully I get around to writing it. He's got an incredible story too. Um, but it's the type of thing that like you wouldn't know unless you just in spring training or sometimes during the season, you just go up and start talking, start bullshitting with guys just to get to know them. And they, the more they see you around, the more they recognize you, the more they're familiar with you. And that allows them to open up to you as well. So it, it's, it's like life. Like, you know, you're just around these people more and you're building relationships and, and that eventually pays off with, you know, a story or something that, that benefits the fans and and people who want to read about their favorite teams and their favorite players or players that they didn't know much about. So it's, it stinks that that is what suffers as this is going on. And hopefully this won't be a, a long-term thing, but um, it just stinks. And, and I, I don't want anyone to feel bad for us for our, that our jobs are more difficult now. Um, because really, it's, it's, <laughs> it's making your life easier, actually. Less things to have to do. You can spend more time at Panda Express each and every single day. <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I do worry about it, though, because I, I, I don't want people to feel bad for us because I feel bad for the readers because the readers are getting shortchanged. Now, we're going to work our asses off to make sure they're not. And we certainly, I mean, I speaking for myself, I know I have stories saved up that I plan to unveil in the coming days and weeks that don't need further input but like it's it sucks that the fans are the ones who kind of get gypped in this and that's that's why i don't expect anyone to commiserate with us but it's it's funny when people say oh you don't need to go in there and like nobody cares and it's like well it's not like i'm not complaining for me i'm complaining because i want to be able to provide readers with the insight that they've grown accustomed to and it is more difficult to do and you know i mean it's we are privileged to cover baseball because unlike any other sport, you can get more one-on-one time with anyone you need every single day. Like in the NFL, Baker Mayfield talks on whatever Wednesdays, he talks to a group of 40 reporters and that's it. Like you're not getting him one-on-one. You're not getting Odell one-on-one unless you just happen to stumble into something um, in baseball. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've gone to the corner of the clubhouse and talked to Francisco Lindor, who's the star, the face of the franchise, one-on-one so many times. Like that, it's, it's a privilege, but it also comes with responsibility. And having that access, you got to use it. And you got to use it wisely, and you have to use it productively. Um, and so I think it hurts people like us who want to do that. And the people who it won't really make a difference to are the ones who stand around in the clubhouse and don't really do anything. And then when it's time to go next door to talk to Tito and get the injury updates, that's when they, you know, use their use some quotes and they're on with their day. So it's it is frustrating. I, and I hopefully have, it's a short term thing. And I know you don't either. I don't have anything wrong or have anything bad to say about that. That's people's job. Everyone has a different responsibility down there. Uh, for some people, that's. Everything they're tasked with writing is essentially a notebook and a gamer, and they need to do these things each and every single day because they might be one of the few that is still worried about that. If someone in the Associated Press is down there trying to do uh, go about their job, it's different than what you or I are down there to do. And I'm not trying to get in their way. They're not trying to get in my way. You know, we all are trying to down, down there trying to accomplish different things. Um, but... If you are in the the clubhouse trying to get the unique story or you want to spend time talking about a subject that maybe nobody else that's a reporter would care about, 
And if you were to do that in a group setting, you're taking away from their job too. So that's why it is so beneficial, not only to us, but I hope to the fans into the sport too, because this, God, we talk about the marketability and we spend entire shows talking about ways that baseball could be more marketable. And at the very heart of all of this is having reporters in there. They can tell unique stories about some very cool guys that don't otherwise get light shed on them. And so to be able to be, to be part of that and to be able to do that, I think is important to the players too, to a certain aspect. You know, you see Trevor Bauer trying to do it himself, trying to take this into his own hands and, and now trying to relay that to other players too, to help, them take control of their own brands and good for him and good for the players that are interested in those sorts of things. Because uh, as much as it can get annoying sometimes, that is the sort of thing that's going to help the game stay relevant. How many times are we seeing guys mic'd up in games now? Um, I mean, so many, so many of these players, I read through the, the tweets and people say, I didn't know who the hell this guy was, but he's funny as hell. And now he's one of my favorite players. And it's just by him being mic'd up in a random spring training game. So the access is really important, not just for us, not just for the fans, but for the sport too. And I, 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 I hope this is something that's short-term. That's by all accounts, it is something that's short-term. And I completely understand why Major League Baseball is trying to maybe be over-precautious in, in this regard. But it always will be so important to, to some segment at least of the reporters and writers that are in the clubhouse each and every single day, because it's not only the stories that you get, but it's the future stories that you build. And it's the time you do get to sit down with the guy and, and just bullshit and talk about his kid or, and the next time you need something really important from that guy, well, you've had 17 bullshit conversations leading up to that point, And now that guy's comfortable enough to tell you anything. And so it's sort of an investment in time uh, not only just in the stories that you get out of it at the same time. And then the other thing that you mentioned is I've heard some people say, well, we'll talk to the PR. They can bring them aside, put them in a different room. Not only is that more time consuming often, and you might be more inclined to hear a player say, no, they don't want to take that time out of their day because that's an actual legitimate now event that's taking place as part of their day, as opposed to just a random conversation at a locker. What if, what if you just need a 30 second snippet on something or to follow up mm -hmm. on something that's not going to take 10 minutes. You're going to pull them out in the hallway for that. And the other thing too, is the comfort level. If think about it, if you are having a conversation uh, with anybody, whatever you do with your work, if you, would you be more comfortable in the place that you're at all the time? Or would you be more comfortable going into a back office somewhere and now you're in a weird place with nothing on the walls and it's just this more formal sort of thing. You're not going to give the, uh, the more colorful answers in a setting like that. It's going to be more like the proper stand-up interview with the television camera. You see guys all the time go through almost a flip of the switch where they, they're one person in front of the camera. I don't mean they're like a nice person and then they're a jackass. I just mean they're more proper, I guess, in front of a camera as opposed to just kind of being their normal selves when it's just somebody having a, a conversation privately one-on-one. -on -one. And the final thing that I want to point out is if now you're putting the team in control of the one-on-one -on -one time and not to say the Indians are doing this because the Indians PR is actually really good about trying to work with us as much as possible, but there could be a situation in the future where do you really want the team now controlling the message? Do you want the PR guy now standing there and 
it's now more of a sanctioned thing that the, a, a message that the team can control, or do you want to have it where players and reporters can have conversations outside of the team and maybe discuss something that the team doesn't want out there. The team doesn't want the information out there. And really that's at the heart of what a reporter is supposed to be doing, getting information that is not supposed to be public and putting it out in the public. So there's just a lot of different tentacles there that I think are important to remember when you hear this fight going on and you think, yeah, it doesn't really matter. It's just a bunch of whiny writers complaining. Well, I'm sure some actually might be from the, the, the high horse standpoint, but I think most of them are coming at it from the perspective of they want to do their jobs well, and they want to bring as much good information to our readers as possible. And our first responsibility is to them. Yeah. Amen to that. Um, are you ready to cover some games that have no fans in the stands? Because it seems like we're trending that direction. I've, I've been there. I lived through the 2009 to 2012 Indians. That's true. I mean, opening day, it might not even be a sellout anyway. So. We live in a weird time. This is, this is going to be an interesting when couple of isn't, weeks. When isn't that the case? Are you re- ready for a random Indian of the day? Oh, jeez. Yeah. Um, I hope we haven't done this one before. We might have, uh, but this one, someone please go through every podcast you've ever done. Compile a list of all the random. Yeah. Put them in a spreadsheet, send it to us and we'll give you a shout out. (laughs) That's that's all you get. A shout out. Oh, imagine putting in so much work like that. And all you get is a shout out somewhere. Anyways, Selby is Godcast t-shirts. Well, this is Cleveland after all. Somebody like people would like that. Oh, shirt. Yeah. I just want to get the, the logo reworked, but uh, that's a conversation for a different story. Um, all right. So this random former ex-Indian of the day was a member of the 2000 Indian squad. He contributed to the Indians a slash line of 071, 071, 071. He had one hit and 14 at-bats, and of course it was a single. So consistent. Uh, he scored a run in those 14 plate appearances. He struck out five times. He played in 13 games with the Indians, 18 overall in his major league career, where Jesus. he put up an OPS plus of negative 59. So you're asking me to identify a player who spent five minutes in the major? Ah, yeah. Four of those minutes with the Indians? Yeah. Yep, that's what I'm asking. What else you got? Well, he was drafted by the Indians in the 44th round of the 1994 June amateur draft out of the University of Florida. He, as of right now, is at the age of 47. He was a right-handed hitter. He played right field, first base in his big league career. Oh, man. What happened? Who else did he play for? Like, how did they get rid of him? Uh, Well, like like I said, he was drafted by the Indians, and then he played again in 2002. So there was a year gap, and he came back with the Royals for five games. Did they trade him? Did they release him? That was the end of his major league career. He was granted free agency, signed as a member of the Braves in November of 2000, became a free agent, signed with the Royals prior to the 2002 season, became a free agent, signed as a free agent with the Pittsburgh Pirates in 2002,
granted free agency, and that was it. This is brutal. That oh, team yeah. was so loaded offensively. Who would have, like, why did they need some stiff to hit 071? Uh, I don't know. No, it's not Bruce Avon, and it's not no. Trinidad Hubbard. No. Um, I can't give you that. He he was the younger brother of someone who also once played for the Indians. Whoa. Oh. Hmm. No. I know it's not <laughs> Alex Ramirez. No. The no, younger brother not. of someone else who played for the Indians. Yes. Hmm. Tim Tomey? <laughs> no, it is not Tim Thome. I feel like I should know this. That's a good hint. The younger brother. Yeah. In what position the young, did the brother play? Uh, predominantly first base and maybe some third base too. But you're not 100% sure. So it's not a really well-known player. Yeah, what I was going to say is it was someone that played a very small role for a little bit prior to the, the younger brother. Are these the worst brothers to ever both make the big leagues? <laughs> uh, I don't know, maybe. Chan Perry? It is Chan Perry! He was the brother of Herbert Perry? That's what Wikipedia says. Wow. Yeah, Chan I was I was Perry. I was gonna start giving you Herbert Perry career highlights <laughs> to help you figure figure out that it was Chan Perry. Yeah. Tell me more about Chan. What a random person. <laughs> uh, he was born in the is it Live Oak, Florida? Attended Lafayette High School. Attended the University of Florida. He was on the University of Florida team in 93 and 94. He batted 311 and led the team with 17 doubles, 15 home runs, and 65 runs batted in. The Gators posted a 3-2 and record in the 1994 NCAA Division I baseball tournament, ultimately losing to the Miami Hurricanes 10-6. But he got drafted in 94 by the Indians, and he only played 13 games in the major leagues. He was a pretty good minor league hitter, though, looking at his numbers. I'm sorry it never worked out for him. It is uh, something we sort of talked about earlier this week, though, related to minor leaguers that have good careers, and you wonder if they're ever going to get their shot. The Indians have holes in their outfield. Perhaps this person would fit in. Any they guesses? Use, are you saying the Indians could, the 2020 Indians could use Chan Perry? That is completely not what I am saying. What about Kai Tom, though? Ah. Yeah, he's like 11th on the in the pecking order, right? I don't know. It, it's tough. He To not add him to the 40-man roster over the winter, it was weird that no team took him. You're telling me the Detroit Tigers couldn't stick him in left field for 120 games and see what happens? Um, or the Orioles? Jesus Christ, the Orioles. Uh, it, it's... I don't know where he fits. I don't know what would have to happen for him to get a shot. That's that's the issue. And you're also going to have to add him to the 40 if you call him up. So, I don't know. I think a lot of people would have to get hurt. And I don't think that's fair to him because he's done nothing but 
produced for the last couple of years, but I don't know what his path is to the majors. Yeah, I have no idea either. He is someone that just continuously, the, the levels that he rises, it's like, okay, it seems like a solid, solid hitter. And then you wonder how good would he have to be for the inning? Because he's, it's not like he's mentioned in any prospect list. I mean, he just flies under the radar. My question is, how good does he have to be to get a legitimate look? Because last year he was at Akron, had a 8.98 OPS, was promoted to Columbus, had a 9.33 OPS, 3.70 on base percentage at Columbus. Yeah, I mean, his numbers were great. But, I, I mean, okay, if you figure Framil Reyes is your right fielder, Mercado is your center fielder, Luplo and maybe someone else cover left field, the Shields is on the roster – like who's who's next? Like, isn't Bowers gonna get a shot before him? Isn't couldn't you say Daniel Johnson maybe gets a shot before him? Daniel Johnson's okay, on the forty man. Let's say the season starts Zimmer? and Bowers, Zimmer, Allen, uh, Johnson. <laughs> what are they gonna what are they gonna do in a triple A to get all these guys at bats? I have no idea. Let's I think say, someone let's someone the, will be moved. My guess, like I could see, and I'm not saying Greg Allen's going to be cut, but I could see them like trading someone like that at the end of spring training for a reliever, maybe, or something of that nature. Let's say all of those guys struggle and Kai Tom just continues to be a solid minor league bat. Those guys that have good minor league careers that never seem to get a an extended shot in the, the major leagues always interests the hell out of me. That you could be so good at a minor league level, and he's still a ways away from that, because even a couple of years ago at, at Akron, he wasn't great. You know, he just put it all together last year to have a good season between two levels. Uh, but it's, it's something that always intrigues me anytime I see that. Like, what, what is that team, or what are all teams seeing that just stops the that silences the numbers that seem so good. And I'm not even saying that he deserves a shot and he needs to be up there. I'm just asking the question. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's unfortunate. And now I'm going through the, <laughs> what the Columbus outfield is going to look like. <laughs> I mean, they might have like Zimmer in center, Greg Allen in left, Kai Tom in right, Daniel Johnson. At, no, he's got to be out there. I don't know. Someone's, someone's got a DH. Jake Bowers? Does he play Jake Bowers, first then? Jake Bowers at first. Bobby then... Bradley to DH? You know what they say. When you have nine minor league outfielders, you don't have any. When Tyler Naquin has to go on his rehab assignment, <laughs> you're just going to have to skip Columbus. You can subscribe to the show, Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify. You can help support the, co- the, the podcast over at Anchor, anchor.fm slash Godcast. And that'll be it for us this week. Any parting words? Catch that Indian fever. Don't catch coronavirus. Stay safe, everybody. Wash your hands. Wash everything. And then do it again, just to be safe. We're out of here. The Selby's Godcast featuring Zach Meisel and TJ Zuppi is presented by our supporters at Anchor. To help support the podcast, 
visit anchor.fm slash Godcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, we sure hope you do, be sure to leave us a five-star review. And if you have suggestions, drop us a DM on Twitter at Godcast. Thanks for listening.